It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome, everyone. This is Colonel Retired John Mills, Colonel Rhett John. Welcome to the National Security Hour on the America Out Loud News Network. And I'm really excited. We have an, uh, just a wonderful guest on the show uh, and uh, somebody I've gotten to know uh, well. We're both uh, Newsmax contributors, and this is Brigadier General Retired Blaine Holt, who I just uh, admire and just think the, the world of. And I uh, thought he'd be a, a great guest to, to talk about several things. So I wanted to bring him in and uh sir welcome to the show uh, if you could just go ahead and please give a little introduction of yourself well john thanks for so much for having me and, and let me just start out before we get to me by saying congratulations on your book uh deep state it, it, it's phenomenal it's very timely and it's what our it's what our country needs um but but a little bit about me i i, I like you am also a ret i am a retired veteran one star uh, I, I flew C-17s most of my career in our beautiful Air Force and then went on to run uh, logistics in the European theater uh, and finishing up as the deputy representative of NATO. And now I'm a serial entrepreneur, have caught the bug for building companies and <laughs> for better or for worse, I, I sit in those bunkers these days. Oh, well, that's off. Well, that's absolutely awesome. And, and thank you for your continuing uh, support to national security in so many ways. And uh, and also the being the serial entrepreneur, which which helps America. So that that's just uh, wonderful. We got to talk about that more offline there, because uh, you and I, that's, a, that's another common area. But I uh, I wanted to, uh, uh, General to come on, and and there was three different segments to talk about, and this first one is what's going on with Israel and Hamas, and I think uh, I think uh, General Holt has some great observations, and so so, sir, what do you think is going on right now, and where are we headed with the conflict with Israel and Hamas? Yeah, in order to understand what's happening right now, um, all of us, I mean, all the practitioners, we have skipped past a very essential piece of the puzzle. And that is the massive intelligence failure that led to the butchery that we saw on October 7th. We haven't understood it. We don't answer for it. But on October 6th, I can promise you, if a cockroach tried to leave the Gaza wall, um, it, all, any kind of intelligence would have picked that up from signals to human intelligence sources, optics, everything. So something went wrong that created that. And until Israel solves that, until we understand it, I don't think we're really going to truly get some insight into what's going on. But but right now we find the Israelis, the IDF, doing what they told me they would do uh, when I owned the logistics part of the Defense of Israel plan back um, when I was running logistics for the European theater. And that is, is that if they ever had to come to this place, they would have to take care of their problems, regardless of what world opinion was, regardless of what anybody thought, because they'd only get one chance to do it. And that bears out because we are seeing uh, this information war, this propaganda campaign that is global, but mostly centered in the United States and Europe. 
that is intensifying around some crazy notion that the Palestinians and Hamas are on the victim side of this equation, skipping again right past the butchery of October 7th, which if that day never happened, none of this would be playing out. And, and the professional forces of Israel are going door by door, floor by floor, very slowly, very methodically, as you would expect in an urban warfare environment. They're doing everything they can to locate those hostages and seeing where they can save life. But, but this notion that they're uh, indiscriminately killing civilians is ridiculous. The ones who are indiscriminately killing Palestinians are the Hamas terrorists who are using them as human shields, uh, stuffing them into mosques and hospitals, uh, keeping them, uh, shooting them in the back if they try to escape in some cases. And so uh, we are going to see a brutal campaign. What I worry about is that our, our U.S. strategy or lack thereof is not supportive of keeping this to be an internal matter in a country. Rather, um, uh, I see an escalation that's going regional that could potentially even go global. Mm-hmm. You, you said something there, which uh, uh, most Americans and listeners just may not understand. Um, the way the combatant commands are are j- j- divided up, Israel falls under European command, and uh, and uh, I I can't remember which series con plans the three thousand that three thousand is central command. I can't remember, uh, but we we also have a standing obligation and mission for missile defense, and that seems to be getting. Uh, some involvement. Would, would you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. The, the, the thing about this is, is there are only so many missiles that have been constructed for plans like this. Um, what we didn't envision back in the day when we were setting up missile defense for Israel and and taking into account the needs that they would have from the Patriot system to Iron Dome, David Sling, and now Arrow, is that there would be first this massive war in Europe that was sucking down all kinds of resources from NATO and the United States, which it, it absolutely has. It's depleted resources and they're appreciable. So it, although it's 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 very classified and should remain so, my concerns as a former logistician for European Command, which the Israeli series of plans fell under, is how stressed or strained will your operations be in the context of missile defense, and what is the sustainability thereof? And so, the Israelis are probably, in my own mind, likely developing contingency plans that lead them in directions that they did not foresee uh, should those missile stocks start to become impinged in a way that requires them to solve their defense problems in a very different way. And we would see much more on the offensive side, actually hearkening back to the Six-Day War when Israel just went for it on all fronts. Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting, and and some of these missile missile shots are coming from um, the Houthis in Yemen, and uh, I just saw a public report on on uh, the Aero system, and we had shot. I, I think it was the uh, the Carney had shot down some missiles, but now we got the Aero system in a ballistic uh, intercept, kind of significant. 
It, it is, and it's very encouraging. If we're going to look at some bright spots in an otherwise very, you know, terrible situation, um, I, at least on Arrow's first couple of days out, Arrow's done very well. And Arrow, in combination with our um, Aegis Aegis afloat systems, um, seems to be doing very well. But one has to wonder how long will the Israelis countenance this uh, operation from Yemen before we start to see aggressive actions. Uh, you know, the Israelis have missile systems all unto themselves. They absolutely have the ability to hit Sana'a tomorrow if they wanted to. So they're they're showing great restraint. But, but again, I, I would look back to the United States and say, well, where is the uh, shuttle diplomacy going on that starts to deter people because the United States has levers all over the place that I, I can't see that have been used yet? Yeah, very interesting. And uh, a couple of uh, other things that uh, uh, it now looks like we've uh, North Korean weapons uh, have been uh, among the uh, armaments for for uh, uh, Hamas. And 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 what it, what do you think about the role of China uh, and uh, Iran in this this whole uh, bloodshed? Yeah, I, I mean, I would have. It would have been a surprise to me to not see Korean armaments in the hands of Hamas. I think where my bigger shock occurs is that there's a strong likelihood, at least through my own sources, that weapons are showing up in Hamas hands that used to belong to the U.S. through Afghanistan. And in some cases, uh, through the black market, have found their way from Ukraine on down into Hamas. Um, but but what we shouldn't be confused about is this uh, four- uh, party alliance that we have suspected was friendly, but it's definitely a juggernaut, and that is North Korea, Russia, China, and Iran. And we've seen Iran's cooperation with Russia and Ukraine. We've seen North Korea and China's cooperation there. So it shouldn't be a surprise that we suddenly wake up and we see six Chinese warships um, in the Middle East. Uh, that's the concern is that if you don't keep this to one country and you start to see it go to regional, um, the players are in place right now with 50 ships in the Eastern Med from 11 countries and gosh knows how many from the submarine parking lot that's below the surface uh, that could create a tinderbox where the war actually is not confined to the Middle East. It goes global and it goes here with our unprotected border and, uh, and, and, and what we see in terms of capability from all these terror groups here in our own nation or the PLA itself. Yeah, right. Uh, we, we, we have this report now uh, that the Florida, uh, one of our converted Trident boats just did a transit of the Suez. Um, so what do you, what do you make of that? <laughs> Why would we see an Ohio class submarine hit the newspapers of any kind? I can't imagine the the discussion that sits in the situation room where the national security advisor says it's in our best interest as a matter of deterrence to expose a leg of the triad in that region when you have nothing but attack submarines from many different countries surrounding it, looking at that as a trophy buck if you were a deer hunter. And, uh, and, and it just, to me, it's more reckless, irresponsible behavior where academics, not true practitioners or experienced veterans of national security get involved in the stew uh, and going for the expedient solution. The problem is that 
to create a deterrence, it's more the diplomatic communications that back up the hulks of metal that we see uh, around and the bases and the jets and the soldiers and the troops. Um, if you don't have the words right, and if you don't have the actions right, then you don't really have a deterrent at all. And we saw that with the billions and billions of dollars that have been used to appease a regime in Iran that that is absolutely not appeasable. Yeah, well, talking about deterrence and a few things. Now, the, the original reporting was the Eisenhower is going to come through the Straits of Gibraltar and then take a right through the Suez and then go to the Arabian Sea. Uh in some ways a deterrent. Now, uh, my understanding is maybe that's also with the Ford. And then related to this, and it's all related to this, is is what do you what is what is the deal with tactical nuclear deterrence? And uh where are we with putting uh nukes back on uh, tomahawks and putting those back on ships, subs, and maybe even aircraft? Two-part question there. Yeah, I, I listen, in a normal world you know, where you got your back against the wall and you really wanted to show your adversaries that you meant business. Um, maybe that's in the list of options that you have. However, again, back back to the start, if if you have a Blinken and a Sullivan and a Newland that that they're nobody's believing them. You have Nasrallah who just declared war on the United States and said the fifth fleet is at risk. Um, they're not impressed by the Fifth Fleet even showing up out their backyard. Now, replace that. If you put uh, President Trump, who said, OK, Soleimani doesn't exist anymore, or mm -hmm. you put President Reagan, who said, OK, um, Libya is going to have a real problem for the next several years um, after I take care of it from what happened in Lockerbie, Scotland, um, when you take action. So now let's go back to our current situation. We said we will defend our bases in Iraq and Syria. And I, John, I, I don't know why those bases are there. Nobody's ever strategically made that um, uh, argument to me. But, but since they're there, we said we'd defend them. Okay, so we took out two ammo ammunition dumps and a dog named Rex, and I think Rex survived. So <laughs> based on that, that's all we're going to do. And they keep, even today, even while you and I are having this conversation, our men and women are in these bases and they're under attack and we're not doing anything about it. So why would you think that whether it's nuclear uh, attack nukes, uh, Tomahawks, uh, the Ford, the Eisenhower, uh, Billy's Ohio subclass, it, it doesn't matter because what they're reading is the same weakness that was read at Kabul in Ukraine and beyond. And that is America is weak and now is our time. And that's my worry about how this thing can expand. Wow. Wow. Well, that's, that's a good point. Uh, it was like in uh, July, June, July, when the revelation of the uh, Chinese spy base that I, I feel never actually left Lourdes, uh, Cuba. So Blinken flies to, uh, china in the in the groveling uh groveling tour and on his way back <laughs> is is rewarded with not only we're going to open us reopen a spy base we're also going to do military training and uh and and like you mentioned with sullivan i mean just uh he gads they just have no respect nobody trusts them can you imagine being a uniformed officer who's a three or a four star in those rooms listening to someone just talk from the hip because they taught us class on it 
and you've been living nothing but wall-to-wall warfare your entire career. And now the best you can do is try to avoid the woke zombies who are trying to shove woke down your throat and, and erase military readiness. Can you imagine wearing that uniform? I can't. I can't. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, my friend, uh, and I think you know him too, Michael Yon, who is one of the best wartime correspondents going. Uh, he is doing God's work down in the Darien Gap, and he is keeping person-by-person logs of all the people coming up and what military they come from and how they've assembled uh, down there and what they intend to do when they get here. And it's not a pretty picture. Uh, so that's why my number one national security concern is for here in the nation, not actually in Damascus, where we see biblical prophecy potentially playing out. Yeah, that's a good point. And I just, uh, I went down and spent some time with Michael Yan and Ann Vandersteel, and it was quite illuminating. Uh, And we got Panama on the precipice of collapse, but it just made me Mm -hmm. want to puke when I saw Fort Clayton. Uh, and saw that the wonderful buildings we'd improved upon were now being occupied by WHO, the UN, and others. It just made me want to puke. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, sir, that's that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, that's it for this segment, and uh, we'll be right back. World class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Hey everyone, Nurse Kimberly Overton here from Nurses Out Loud. Over time, our cell signaling molecules diminished, leaving us vulnerable to the wear and tear of life. With the SIA Redox, you can restore and revitalize your body at the cellular level. This is an incredible product that I personally use and can attest to seeing fantastic results, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. ASEA supports your immune system, enhancing your body's natural ability to repair itself. It promotes overall well-being so that you can experience a new level of vitality and resilience. It's time to take control of your health and experience the power of ASEA. Visit our online store today at americaoutloud.shop and use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15%. Be sure to tune in to Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. 
Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash outloud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Welcome back, everyone. This is Colonel Rhett John on the National Security Hour for America Out Loud News Network. And uh, I have retired uh, General Blaine Holt, uh, and we're having a great uh, discussion dialogue on a number of things. In this segment, we're going to talk about China, and is China going to take advantage of a vacuum, a vacuum of American presence? And they could take care of that, and they could take advantage several ways. But one of the first we think about is the Western Pacific. But, sir, what do, what do you think? What do you think China's up to, and what do you think they're thinking about right now? So if China were healthy, I, I, would, I would absolutely be terrified. I'd be, I'd be so terrified because we'd be looking literally at checkmate. China wins the world, <clears throat> and we become a vassal state. Um, but China is not healthy, and I'll speak to that in a second. Uh, the the Chinese uh, uh, problem is that you have right now, now that they've destroyed their economy, overextended themselves. They have a Belt and Road Initiative that's falling apart. They um, are projecting strength, Sun Tzu concept, when they are really weak. Uh, they're decimating their population. They're impoverishing them all. They're going Mao Zedong 2.0. The, uh, the real estate financial collapse has only led into other sectors, and the West is fleeing, ripping factories out of there. Uh, the CCP has its back against the wall. And, and, and you would think, oh, this is really wonderful news. It's really not wonderful news because China, China has a real problem. And when the CCP has a problem, its first effort is to blame it on everybody else. And how do you do that? What you do is you get the PLA or the army off your back and the population off your back by creating an enemy, and that enemy is the United States. So they have taken to the high seas. They have gone global. They are threatening Taiwan. They are threatening our allies, not only through North Korea and proxies in Russia, but themselves uh, in in their naval maneuvers uh, in in the South China Sea. Uh, but they're also using soft power. Uh, warfare against us. They're invading our country at every possible level from illegal immigrants that look like immigrants, they're really PLA officers, um, to Confucius Institute people, uh, paying off politicians, co-opting politicians. They, they really have this fifth dimensional hybrid warfare thing down. They don't have normal warfare down. So what I would say strategically is we have as many opportunities as we have threats with the Chinese. We have the Chinese diplomatically right where we want them, in my view, uh, much the way we had the Russians during the end of the Cold War. The problem is this, is when you look at the relationship, and I'm going to be very blunt about this, when you look at the relationship and the troubles legally that uh, Hunter Biden and his family has uh, with the Chinese regime, um, you can easily see where the, the, that compromise 
uh, could be the reason we see some of the decisions made that are pro-China. And what I mean by that is you have a spy balloon. It's transiting your entire country. Nobody does anything about it. You have uh, ships that create problems for us. You have incursions that create problems for us. Nobody challenges them on us. Um, they absolutely support your al- your uh, your your adversary um, in a war against your ally or your partner, and nobody does anything about it. So that tells me there's some sort of co-option with the swamp, and and we're not dealing with China because they're in league with Wall Street, who um, has an unfortunate problem. <laughs> Um, so it's a mixed bag. I wouldn't be one to sit there and say, oh, my gosh, the Chinese are boogeymen. They're going to come swallow us. But I would say is they may have done enough. They may have just done enough in this fifth dimensional warfare space to threaten us greatly. Yeah, amen. I see uh, uh, flashpoints in Panama and the uh, uh, Philippines. Uh one thing that I and you mentioned Hunter and I and I and I think that's at this point in time you know we have courtroom level evidence of of malfeasance and just corruption, bribery. Um, I mean I think we have enough now, but I always wondered because when I was in in the off sector defense, I I always I look back and I remember by about early 2015, some of the Obama Biden folks were starting to get really upset with island building, especially in, in 2014. And then it got really bad in 2015 and they really started to get angry. So I've always gone, well, geez, did, did they know about the corruption Were they, did they know about it later? Were they clean? I mean, there's several people that I think about uh, personally and I go, I just don't know if they knew about this or they were play acting. I don't know. But early 2015, I was asked to generate a list of 10 good ideas to punch back hard and okay i gave them a list and they said oh john you we shan't be able to do this this is like way right. over the top too provocative yeah. Yeah. and one of them was uh, okay we get crowley barges four by ones the 400 foot by 100 foot get a hundred of them lease them fill them with backfill and put them in subic bay as a strategic message we want the chinese spies to see these we want the message to be as hey two can play island building and it was so funny because they uh, they didn't like it, but in early 2016 they came back and they they wanted it. They said uh, a couple of people. In fact, I happened to turn around literally the other day at Dulles, and the person the same person was behind me. I'm not kidding. But they said in early 2016, John, where's that list at? We'd like to see it again. <laughs> and I just said, you know, where's that top secret list? At? And I said, I you know what? I don't know what happened to it. I can't find it. No. <laughs> I, I right. found it in early 2017, and then I gave it to the Trump team when they came in. I found it. I just, for some reason, for a year, I couldn't find it. But uh, yeah, what, what do you, th- is, is everybody corrupt in this Biden team? Uh, and everybody's aiding and enabling, enabling just some of them? What do you think? Oh my gosh, you just gave me an opportunity to plug my op-ed that I wrote today. <laughs> I, I wrote an op-ed and it's titled, Yes, Virginia, There Really Is a Deep State. <laughs> and um, if you think for five seconds that China, through its contacts in Wall Street, has not done every single possible thing to co-opt that system, uh, well, then I got a bridge to sell you someplace. But, but I, I think you brought up a very interesting year, John. 2015 go back a little bit further if you if you remember in 2010 which is such a pivotal year 
um, all of us wearing uniforms at that point in time thought, you know what? I think our government is really thinking that Iran is going to be the next battlefield and that we're going to go take on Iran. And I remember very clearly around that year that um, we've got to pivot west. We just have to. We've got to find a way to do that. And, and the Chinese are the boogeyman. And China and Iran were up in lights. And then 2011 comes and it all goes away. It just all goes away. We're not going to talk about Iran anymore. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you, the, you, those of you wearing uniforms, don't bother your pretty little head about that. That's not a real important thing. And China, the same way. Um, Blaine Holt, you keep going after your diplomatic track two discussions with those wonderful kids from abroad. And go ahead and make your speeches on the eastern uh, seaboard of uh, China uh, with the universities. But, but beyond this cultural engagement, we're just, gonna, we're, we're just fine with everybody. Now, what, what, what became of all that? Um, At the end of that administration, the Obama administration, what we saw was billions of dollars being flown in cash for a hapless, fantastical nuclear program with Iran that was only going to just delay their nuclear weapons to them, Uh, but billions for you guys. And then we saw um, an appeasement run with China that just made China uh, more emboldened about swallowing our intellectual property, swallowing our businesses, taking out every competitive advantage that we ever had through uh, uh, state-sponsored predatory capitalism is what I'll call it. And and then the Trump administration comes in and, and puts a halt to the, puts breakers on all this stuff. So they interrupt, they in fact interrupt this flow, which not only got resumed in the Biden administration, but uh, they've turned on the spigots full bore. So much so that the uh, administration is staving off whether it's co-opted by all these countries. You've got billions that went to Iran. You've got um, uh, uh, the Bidens have problems with Russia. They have problems in China. Um, We're not really correlating that they've got potential legal problems involving those regimes. And at the same time, we're looking down the barrel at warfare with all of them. Yeah, and and you you brought up so Rob Malley was you you brought up those yeah. early negotiations. So and I believe Rob Malley, and I've been to Vienna and seen the wonderful uh, OSD policy slash State Department office building, which also has a it's the Huawei headquarters for uh <laughs> for you know, it's like what a coincidence. Never saw that one, but yeah. Amazing so Rob Rob Malley was there and. So what, what's going on with Rob Malley? Well, they're going to uh, run him through the process. We can see, you know, we'll have to see what the outcome is. Let's just say that he is an innocent man until proven guilty. What a novel concept that is. But but there, there have been numerous articles written about appeasers for Iran and Hamas and other Iran proxies all throughout the government. Um, but but what you really should do is do the um, the forensics to find out who put those appointees where they put them. And I think you'll just go ahead and find out that it was the Obama administration. And let's not forget where Valerie Jarrett comes from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that any of these people are guilty of anything, John. I'm not. But what I am saying is, is that um, there is enough evidence in the room that any self-respecting law enforcement official would say, you know, I think there's something here it should be investigated. Yeah, yeah, I think this is uh this is shameful. It looks like we have Rob Malley, uh was part of the Iran team at that time under Obama returned and he's uh 
he's not been arrested. I'm not sure he's been indicted, but it's pretty clear that him and his two key subordinates uh, are being uh, accused of working for Iran. So uh, horrible. I just I think it's just shocking. Um, so uh, do you think do you think uh, China's going to make a move? on Taiwan, or you listed a number of uh, issues they're dealing with and they are under great duress. Do you think they're going to try to move or they just don't have the the mass and the force uh, to, to do something right now? Yeah, I, I can tell you that in my answer, I'm going off of a gut because, and I, I want to say that I could be very, very wrong here. It's very possible. I don't think that they're going to move on Taiwan at all. And the reason I don't is because Xi Jinping is so weak in his own regime and so weak right now with the People's Liberation Army. This purge of generals has not served him well. The other part is militarily, if you are um, a Chinese general, and I have known a few over the years, you are looking at Taiwan, although a small island, it packs military capabilities that the United States doesn't even know that it has. Mm-hmm. And um, as you well know, four or five missiles to the Three Gorges Dam eliminates half the population of China. And that's not lost on the PLA. So they have, and, and the other part is, is they have to be successful or they're done or they're finished. So China, China only gets one shot. They don't get to fail and then think that the CCP still exists. China would then be balkanized and it would split up into several different countries. I think that when you look at the risk versus the reward, I just, I can't see China doing it. Yeah. Good points. Good points. Um, And that's uh, as bad as we may have it here. We always have to uh, acknowledge and realize the other team, uh, has has issues too and as you've pointed out very uh very uh wisely and very accurately there's a lot of issues uh uh, and they've never they've never conducted an amphibious uh, invasion before which is quite complex and with your logistics background you know how difficult it is planning something like that (laughs) oh my gosh if you've ever tried to get the marine corps to do an in-stream offload you'll know that when you see it happen, it's a ballet, but man, it is not without its pain. And uh, let's remember that the Chinese military history of a major league level goes back to 1999 versus Vietnam. And they lost they lost themselves very poorly. Nothing has really changed about the PLA. And uh, they have command and control problems and they have joint warfighting problems that are just very significant. I am certain that when the Chinese generals saw what happened to the Russians uh, going into Ukraine, they, their jaws just hit the floor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they got this wonderful hundred mile wide water filled tank ditch. That's kind of significant. Um, I, I see a lot of pushing and shoving going on at Thomas second Thomas and Scarborough Shoals. What do you think the end game is there? It's off the Philippines. Well, this is, yeah, this, this is an area where I think the Chinese could present a real problem for everybody. If they took, if, if they used Taiwan as a focus point, but it was really just a fake out. I mean, in military parlance, we would call that a feint. And then they really focused on the shoals and down by the Malaccan Straits. The Chinese actually could get somewhere. 
militarily. They have the strength, they have the preponderance of force, and they know that in the United States, we're only building our forces from here. So their moment in time is fleeting, meaning we have a very weak uh, administration right now that's been really on the back heel and been in, into the appeasement mode. That's one. But the other part is, is what we have in hand right now with Malaysia and the Philippines is agreements. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do to enact and get those agreements going from, you know, all the construction that has to be built. Um, the CBs are going to be all over that place for the next 25 years based on what we've agreed to. So uh, the, the, the time, if you had a window of time to go make good on this thing you call the South China Sea nine line, now the 10 line, and, and you wanted to go get a, a realistic uh, footprint down there, the Chinese actually do have that capability and it would not come at, at, at such a great expense to them. Good point. Good point. Uh, so I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping something doesn't occur and I, and I, and, uh, and I, I like your observations and yeah, I hope, I hope something, they don't try it. Uh, just unfortunately when dictators and dictator 101 school, they always teach you when things are bad at home, start a war, but I hope that doesn't happen. So, uh, thank you very much, sir. And we're going to be back for one more segment and this is just absolutely awesome. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, 
you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Welcome back, everyone. This is Colonel Rhett John. Colonel Rhett John on the National Security Hour for the America Out Loud News Network. And uh, just having a wonderful time here talking national security issues with my uh, great friend and colleague, uh, uh, General Blaine Holt. And uh, so we've talked about uh, the situation in the Middle East. And we've talked about China potentially exploiting a vacuum, uh, but also all the Chinese problems that they're, they're, uh, President Xi is facing. This last one, and uh, both of us uh, have lived this and uh, are seeing our wonderful military come under the grip of this this i call it a cancer of wokeness um but so general holt what do you think what do you think is going on and is it first of all let's let's is it real because we get pushback on this it doesn't exist what what do you think is this thing real oh gosh it is more than real people can push back all they want um you'll see people like christine warmuth who um has been a wonk civilian in the building her entire career who now finds herself as the secretary of the army. And every time she's asked on the Hill about being woke, she acts and feigns like she doesn't know what it is. And yet, and yet um, we have erased in our army, our air force, Marine Corps and Navy and coast guard, um, any mention of the meritocracy. In fact, um, it's more now about the color of your skin it's about um, whether you're a man or a woman, and it's uh, about uh, did you get fairness in your life? Here's the problem. That sounds great. It does not put bombs on target. It does not kick in the door the right way in, in an airborne assault. It does not garner you any military victory, and it certainly does not set you up for a national military strategy that's in any way going to be coherent or effective, because the thing that's lacking in that is excellence, service before self, and a commitment to a life of defending the country under your oath to the Constitution, not an administration. This is Marxism. This is what that is. And it's depleting the readiness. And uh, uh, what I'm terrified about is uh, because you know about our nepotistic uh, promotion system, um, if you want to get promoted right now, you better be woke. You better be DEI. You better be all about those things. And, and if you can't get motivated about that, you might not make that next promotion. So how many sleeper patriots do we have wearing a uniform right now? And how many have been shown the door? I'm very concerned about our country, and I'm very concerned about that. Oh, well, thank you. And I and I, I, I think this is a very real problem. Uh, yeah, Christine Warmoth, uh, my last uniform assignment, I was the liaison from uh, OSD Policy Homeland Defense to DHS FEMA for complex uh, catastrophes. And uh, so I got to know her a little bit, and I believe it was her now current husband a little bit. And uh, it was interesting, but I've seen her kind of... Yeah, it, play act that she doesn't know what we're what we're talking about when we say woke and uh then they mock it now they're angry and the the army uh seems to be taking it out on their i'm just baffled the, the one major thing the army can contribute to the uh, war fight in the pacific is 
not armored divisions, uh, but uh, uh, but they're special operators. And I'm just, they're really sticking it to the Army special operations community, which just baffles me. Um, but uh, it was, so what do you, what do you think? Uh, I mean, obviously step one is to acknowledge it. How do we start an incremental de-wokeness of the military? Oh my gosh, you will not like or appreciate, nor will many, my answer to this problem. It is, I, I have thought about this so much. I, uh, I think about it every single day. I promise I do. And I am a thoughtful person. Uh, but the only, because of our promotion systems and because we very quickly weed out cultures that we don't want in the military, it used to be that if uh, you had solid American values, you had great character, integrity, um, you had a, a love and a passion for your mission and that you were willing to learn more and you wanted to do more and you wanted to study warfare and the profession of arms and what it and, and military history and those things. Then we elevated you. That was the policy that you were going, you know, in the Air Force, you were going to be the best pilot in that squadron or you probably weren't going to make it to colonel. Um, those days are gone. So my answer to this is not how do we incrementally change it over time? We don't have time. We have bears and wolves that are bearing down on us and our, our nation needs us today. They don't need us 10, 15 years from now when we change it back to the good. So unfortunately, um, I think that the next administration ought to carefully consider a purge. I mean, call it what it is. Don't be don't have fancy terms about it. This is a purge. We will not have Marxism in our military. We will not have the this this line of thinking. The meritocracy will be brought back. And if you in any way, shape or form backed these other programs, uh, simply saying that's what was popular won't get it. And we're going to eliminate you. Now, I know what I'm saying. And I know what I'm I know what I'm I'm I may be even injuring myself. We we may many of us graybeards uh, who are among the 17 million veterans who've served this nation may actually have to put those uniforms back on as snug as they're going to fit and uh, come back in and put this military back together again under a warrior's ethos under the profession of arms. And I wish that wasn't so. And it does not serve my personal uh, <laughs> uh, aspirations. But but quite honestly, this isn't this. is It's what our country needs. It's not it's not what our desires are. And uh, this country has given us so much. But what what our country does not deserve is a military that we have to um, at night uh, be restless about whether our military will be able to conduct its mission and do the right things and uh, and and that it has the right leaders in play. We, we, we can't worry about that. And so I worry that many of us will have to come back in and and replace and and start to fix. Uh, very, very quickly, what we know to be ground-based principles uh, of being an American military officer and American military uh, enlisted. Wow! Wow! That was that was quite inspirational, and I, I hadn't quite thought about that. Uh, uh, such as putting the uniform back on again. I uh, I do fit into my uniform now. In fact, I would have to. My wife put me on a weight reduction program, and. Uh, and I do fit into my original tanker's jacket from the That's first awesome. Gulf War, which I haven't fit into since the late 90s. 
Um, but you're right. Maybe coming back in because it is just this, it's, uh, it's just this cancer. And I, I can't figure out. I, I like that. I, I in 2009 at War College, I realized I was an outlier, and somehow I had missed the memo on terms and phrases to use. And then my final. Then you had to start going to your JPME courses to get joint qualified over and above your service college. And at that time in 2014, I realized, holy smokes, uh, I definitely missed the memo and maybe even the second memo something changed what, what do you think it was like admiral gilday who left the navy as the cno i i worked with him fairly closely when he was at cyber command and i i just he seemed very good but i mean what happened were they just closet communists what happened no i think they're opportunists uh i can't put it a better way i think you read where your boss is going and you want to please your boss because you're your boss is ultimately the key who's going to lead you to that promotion. And, uh, and you want to go, you want to go please that boss. And then you have to make a decision about, is that ethically morally okay with where the boss wants to go? Or do I push back? Unfortunately, um, moral courage is really in short, has been in short supply for a while. I saw, I mean, I was there, I had a front row seat, you know, a safe front row seat. So I don't want to give anybody an impression that I was in any kind of heroic position. I wasn't. I was in a command post in Stuttgart and I was mollified by what happened at Benghazi and then thereafter over those months. And and John, I, I kind of knew that uh, my own personal career was going to be in the de- in the decline from then on, because we we all have to decide um look i'm i'm up with the team i'm up with where the boss wants to go but but one thing that can never be compromised is my oath to the constitution of the united states it cannot be and so i see many in a very disappointing way who have decided um that maybe the constitutional oath is ornamental uh maybe what the boss is saying aligns with their their values uh but i find that deeply troubling because if you're not about american values if you're not about in god we trust if you're not about um, that constitution, then you shouldn't be wearing our country's uniform. And I, I, that's very blunt, but that's the way I feel about it. Wow. No, that was right on. That was right on. That was, that was inspirational. And uh, that is a spirit we need to get back to. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, just, I think that's the opportunism. I, I think you're hitting that nail right on the head with that. That's it's shameful. I mean, we may have an element of that, but it just it's it's gotten it's people have just totally thrown it, thrown the constitution out the window. And uh, what about the service academies? What do you think with them too? I mean, they should they be part of this purge? Yeah, it's it's got to start there. I mean, it it. it when you look at what's happening, I get insight to a lot of contacts in not just the Air Force Academy, but all service academies, because people are coming to us outside the graybeards, the 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 veterans saying, sir, I didn't sign up for this. What is this? <laughs> and it's the same type of grieving grief counseling I gave right after uh, Afghanistan fell for uh, my fellow C-17 crew members who had people falling off their airplanes. You you see what looks wrong and yet um your leadership is holding it up as the way ahead. You know that's wrong. And so um, there are, we have cadets who are brilliant, have great 
moral character and fiber and exactly what we want. And they're being misled and they're being led into this Marxist woke culture. And you have to make an example of the service academies. And yes, it, it must occur there. Um, you know, if, if you're a gray beard and you're a former flag officer, I'm so sorry. You may have to saddle up, slap your patch and go to, um, Rocky mountain high school and be the superintendent or to West point or to Annapolis. But, but I, I, that's the only, that's the only way I can see to fix it, John. I wish I saw another way out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the word purge is, is strong, it, in some ways, we're conditioned to be, that's an antithetical term, but I, I, I think in the end, you're right. We, we have to do a righteous purge because uh, to, to, this is just, we not to cite Klaus Schwab, but we have to do a reset. We have to do a reset of this whole culture. It is just crazy. Um yeah, the service academies. And uh, what about uh, one thing that's puzzled me is that it, it's 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 as if nothing is wrong. The in the swamp, it's it's in the in the in the in the defense community, if you want to call it the military industrial complex of forever wars, which I think that's we we, we both agree that's wrong. Um, it's, I just am baffled by the behavior, like as if nothing's wrong. I mean, what is it? Are they just delusional? What do you think? Yeah, I. It, it, this is this is the conundrum of conundrums. So we get down to the question: Do is what we see happening before our eyes malevolence, or is it incompetence, or is it a combination of the two? Um, I know. And maybe being a cynic, I know that I am probably led to the malevolence place because as a strategist, you see too many things line up and then you're like, this is no longer a coincidence. This is this is this is badness. It's happening before our eyes and at some point it's going to have to be arrested. But but what we have to do as Americans, um, whether you've worn a uniform or whether you're not wearing a uniform, is you need to you need to call your elected representatives and your senators and you need to demand better. Um, we are rapidly becoming a nation that is no longer self-governed, and we have to recognize that. And we have to ask ourselves: Are we going to be the generation that fails our founders? And I don't think we are. Um, I'm I'm an eternal optimist, but um, but it, we are in serious days, and we have to decide as Americans: uh, Where are we? And what are we going to do next? And is this trajectory that we're on acceptable? I would say on behalf of our grandchildren and our children, it's not acceptable. Yeah, right. I, I, I agree. I mean, I joined the military because I I was a, as a teenager, I saw Carter. And when I remember the failed rescue attempt, I just was just disgusted and uh and when reagan came in i said that's what i want to be and it was i grew up reading Audie murphy from the second <laughs> yep. world war and i said that's i want to come in and when we came in i was i was just i was not in the administration i was just uh, i was at the time i was a private uh and then became an officer but i was like we're gonna we're you know the, the mission was grow the grow the military and we're gonna put the Russians out of business and it was great and you you knew you had a purpose you could feel it it was just it was exciting and uh 
And it was great. I, I want to, I mean, it may be a little bit off form. Uh, we're not to speak ill of our fellow officers. Uh, we have mentioned some, but I, there's two that jump out at me that, uh, you know, the, the one, John Kirby, who I believe is the NSC spokesperson for the White House. Uh, I remember him in 2004 doing the QDR, and my memory of him was an awfully opinionated 06 who clearly didn't like the Bushes. Well, you know, with hindsight, I'm not crazy about the Bushies either, but he was like over the top. And the other one is John Nagel, who is Wolfowitz's military, junior military assistant. And, you know... Geez, I don't even know how to go anymore. John just has become a, uh, both of them in the end were just seemed to be closet leftists that just hated everything about the the military and part of the problem. So that's kind of where we're, we're done with the third segment. Uh, General Holt, I just, again, I, I, I just look at you as a, as a great friend, colleague, mentor, just enjoyed getting to know you on, on, uh, Newsmax uh, as a contributor in other places, and uh, our common friends of Michael Yan and uh, Ann Vandersteel and others. And so, I thank you so much for, for being on on this episode of the National Security Hour. I can't thank you enough, John. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's great oh, to be here. Well, thank you, and and yes. Uh, um, uh, my new book came out, uh, War Against the Deep State, and General Holt gave gave it just a wonderful endorsement. So I thank you so much for that, uh, uh, oh, sir. I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, everyone, that's a wrap on this episode of the National Security Hour. And special guest host was uh, Brigadier General Blaine Holt, a great American. And uh, everyone have a good time and we'll catch you next week.